0: It's like, just back up, girl.
1: He was a genius back then.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on.
1: He saved your relationship. Oh, Thank goodness crazy. for you, David.
0: <laughs> just shut it. Just shh, shh, sh- shh, <laughs> Like a little chihuahua.
1: <laughs> yeah. You're listening to the Nacho Kids podcast, where we discuss all things step family related. Real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Welcome to
2: episode 177 of the Nacho Kids Podcast.
3: That's right. Welcome, everybody.
2: Welcome, welcome, welcome. David, I am really upset that you will not let me
3: throw tomatoes at you. (laughs) You do not need to throw tomatoes at me. I do. There's no demand for it. (laughs) There is demand. I haven't seen it.
2: Y'all, please email me at lori, <laughs> L-O-R-I, at nachokids.com so I can show David that people want me to throw tomatoes at him. Please, I beg you.
3: No, they're just, they're listeners, so they don't want to see it. They just want to hear it.
2: No, but they can go to Instagram. They can go to TikTok. <gasps> David, that would be a perfect TikTok video. mm Yes. Nobody wants to see me get hit with the tomatoes. Y'all, please, please <laughs> help a sister Nobody. out. Help a sister out.
3: <laughs> hey, all right, we'll see.
2: Okay, that was better than I got last time. So what's going on, David? Um,
3: Seems like a lot. Seems like nothing. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> some things I can talk about, some things I can't. <laughs> oh,
2: Lord, we will not go there today. <laughs> No, nah, overall, life is good. When you, not- oh, we're not ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's see. What can we talk about today? What do y'all people want to talk about? Nothing? Okay, we're good with that. <laughs> today, we will talk about nothing except for tell you a little bit about the Nacho Kids Academy. Then we'll tell about our guest today. All right. All right, so the Nacho Kids Academy is the only place you can truly learn to nacho.
3: That's right.
2: There are video courses. There is an anonymous community. There are Q&A coaching calls, over 100 hours of previous Q&A coaching calls. And there is the Nacho Kids Boot Camp, the Change Your Stinkin' Thinking Challenge, and the Self-Care Challenge, because you need all of those things. (laughs) That's right. And you can find all that at nachokidsacademy.com. That's right. Okay. Our guest today is Dr. Tara Egan. She is with Egan Counseling and Consulting. She has a podcast, One Day You'll Thank Me. (laughs) Yeah, I love the name of that. David and I were a guest on her podcast, and we thanked her for being a guest on her podcast.
3: (laughs) So she was right.
2: Yeah. She has been blending for seven years, has two bio kids and four step kids. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I'm glad about is... We are having more and more therapists and licensed family, marriage, counselors, whatever all these people are, reach out. And I'm not dismissing what y'all are. Sorry.
3: (laughs) We just don't know all the acronyms.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But we're having these people reach out to us because they want to understand what the Nacho Kids Nacho Parenting Method is. Because Mm -hmm. they understand that you cannot treat a blended or step family, like a traditional family. Yep. So we're working on that book, y'all, so we can help you.
3: <laughs> yeah, we are. We can
2: help you, and we can help your therapist.
3: Maybe we should have the Nacho Kids Academy Therapist Edition.
2: Hey, that's an idea. <laughs> all right. That's all I got to say right now, David.
3: Uh, What about the announcement about the club? Have you announced that yet? Uh, We announced it last week. On the podcast? Yes.
2: Okay. So, David... You want to mention it
3: again? So let's remind everybody that the Nacho Kids Club, or I guess we call it the Nacho Club.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's called the Nacho Club.
3: All right, so I just want to remind everybody that you can join the Nacho Kids Club absolutely free by going to nachokids.com slash club. You can sign up there or log in there if you already have an account. And it is a completely free and anonymous 100% anonymous community for you to go in there and chat with other folks. So it takes out all the craziness of Facebook because we run it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks. You ready to get to listening?
3: Yep. Let's do it.
2: Today we have (laughs) Dr. Tara Egan. Hey, Tara, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. So you have Egan Counseling and Consulting. And you also have
1: a podcast,
2: One Day You'll Thank Me. Mm -hmm.
1: That's right. I'm a therapist. I'm a former school psychologist. And I do a ton of work with families who are experiencing separation or divorce or have started or are in the middle of the process of blending families. And so that's how we got to know each other. As you were a guest on my podcast, One Day You'll Thank Me. And then we got to do a little switcheroo.
2: Yeah. Well, today we thank you for letting us be on your podcast. One day you'll thank me.
1: (laughs) Oh, it was so good. You were um, just a fantastic set of guests. And I think that I've referred so many clients back to that episode to kind of get the flavor of nacho parenting. And so it's definitely phrasing that is often used in my office and in my practice.
3: Awesome. What crossed your mind the first time somebody was like, what's this nacho parenting thing?
1: It's interesting, you know, to th- even think of like because I feel like I've known about it for a really long time, like several years or whatever I mean, like not just recently, and so I'm not sure I how I came across it because I think that I think probably I heard about it in a step parenting like Facebook group mm-hmm. and somebody this is my best guess from what I could I can recollect like made reference to it, and then I just. Googled it and learned more about it, and then, you know, I'm a step parent myself, so I have two biological children and four stepchildren, and I've been, you know, I I got remarried seven years ago, and then I've been divorced twelve years, and so I've been, as my practice has grown, I've kind of developed this niche in working with families who are experiencing separation and divorce. And I do a lot of co-parenting. And then I've recently expanded my services to include parent coordination. And of course, if you're working with families who've experienced separation or divorce, you're also working with new, you know, partnerships and then the children that are within those. And so it, it kind of, you know, obviously it just goes together so much. And so I've really made it a point to make sure I, I feel, that I've made it a point to really understand the principles of it because there's some people, especially families I work with where they initially hear about natural parenting and their initial reaction is to be rejecting of it. Mm -hmm. To be like, no, 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 that feels cold or dismissive or like giving up or something like that. And they kind of have to take a breath and give themselves a chance to sort of, all right, don't go into a defensive place. Like let's, you know, think about this more like big picture and then be given some guidance on how they would implement that.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, honestly, if someone would have told us in the beginning, oh, you need to step back. You need to not be a parent to them. Just- I told you that. I was like, just back up, girl.
1: He was a genius back then.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Come on.
1: He saved your relationship. I like, oh, Thank goodness me. for you, David.
2: Just shut it. <laughs> just shut sh- 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 <laughs>
3: like a little
1: chihuahua right?
3: <laughs> yeah
2: now tell the truth
3: david that's not true that might have been what i was feeling but i wouldn't have, i wouldn't have dared say it. i can say it now because i i'm safe well, no, in I saying it. About it in,
2: the beginning. in the beginning oh no
3: the beginning at no. the beginning you
2: wanted me to play happy oh band. yeah
3: yeah yeah No, it was like what do you mean you're not gonna you want to have separate dinner times because things are stressful or what do you mean that we can't do bedtime activities together as one family. And, you know, it just seemed crazy that it couldn't happen. Now, you know, the caveat is it does, or it can happen over time, but, you know, I just felt like we should be doing this within the first three to six months. What's taking so long. <laughs> so yeah,
2: if someone would have mentioned this to us in the beginning, I'd have been like, you're crazy because all the research we did be like a family, be like a nuclear family. And that just did not work for us. Mm -mm.
1: Well, the thing is, is no one who's struggling is going to feel like that's what you do as step one. Or Mm -hmm. I mean, sorry, for a family that is just starting to get acquainted, that doesn't feel like the intuitive thing to do is start off slow and stay in your lane and Mm -hmm. don't get involved in someone else's drama and, you know, view yourself as a trusted adult versus a parent. Like, You know, we have this image when we're remarrying, like that the relationship is just going to be beautiful and connected and like our family's special because we Mm -hmm. found our way together after this hardship of this prior relationship. And like my kids are going to recognize the value that I'm able to bring and, you know, to their life, like you have these, these feelings and then, you know, it doesn't play out that way because, you know, there's wounds from the separation or divorce and, like, we're dealing with children, with children's brains. And even if they're adult children, there's still, you know, a place you go as a child of people. And so by the time people get to me, things aren't going well. And sometimes where they look at it is like this, because the alternative is ending this relationship and not moving forward with this family unit. And so sometimes that can compel people to take the first step and like learn more. Right. And that was the case with us. It
2: was a last ditch effort to save our marriage. And I think if you come into it and that's the case of either I try this and see if it works or we're done, Mm -hmm. then you have a different outlook on it. You're willing to try it. You don't judge it. You don't criticize it so much. You're like, okay, I'm willing, I'm willing to try this. And I think like you, most of the people that we deal with are at their wits end and they are at the place of this is make it or break it. Now, we do have a few that we have worked with that come in straight in the beginning and they want to learn everything they can and God bless them. They are, they are doing the right thing because if we can help them not to go through the pain we went through, then we've definitely accomplished something. Mm-hmm.
1: I agree. I hear you on that because there's sometimes where my, the beginning of my relationship with a family is while they're like initially separating. And so they're going through the transition of like, now we're no longer living in the same house. We're communicating about a separation or divorce to the kids. We're developing new rit- routines as single parents. And then, you know, eventually it, it evolves into, introducing, you know, dating life. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that happens where I can give some support in the very beginning to keep it from getting like too gnarly. Mm -hmm. And then of course that's helpful. But you know, for for some of the blended families where they're everything's terrible. You know, my stepkids don't like me. I don't like them. You know, like my spouse and I are arguing about what my role is or what each other's role is. And When it doesn't work out well, people just feel like everything is terrible Mm -hmm. and it isn't what they expected. So sometimes like there is so much pain at that point that, you know, they can be receptive to trying something different.
2: Right. And I know you've seen this, too, but you almost have to go through a grieving process of what you thought this blended family was going to be like. We all go in with expectations, whether we realize it or not, and those expectations are basically nuclear family expectations, and then we have to go through that grieving process of being angry, being in denial, then acceptance and all that stuff, the normal grieving process to be able to move forward and accept things for what they are and stop letting our dreams feel like they're crushed.
1: I think- that I see more grief in, in stepmothers who don't have their own biological children. Yes. Because I think sometimes they feel they're going to go into this relationship, feel really connected and be treated with the respect and emotional connection that a the original mother, bio mother, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. And then it's not at all like that. And so. And they don't have their own biological kids to get that motherly connection from. Mm -hmm. Or as a distraction. That's true. Because sometimes the reality is you're dealing with your biological kids' health problems or homework or social conflicts. And you don't have the real estate to get super involved in something that's happening with stepkids. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. absolutely true. But there's times where stepmoms will marry this New partner, and they're like, "I'm part of this family, and I'm here, and I'm ready."."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the kid's like, mm-mm.
2: Right." And it's also hard for childless or child-free stepmoms, from our experience, for them to understand things like guilty parent syndrome, or mm-hmm. when the significant other only has the kid every other weekend and the stepmom feels ignored. Well, they're not ignoring you. They're parenting their kid or spending time with their kid. And I think, again, not having children of your own, it does make it harder in so many ways.
1: That and recognizing that, let's say you have two stepchildren and they do need something different. So you have one kid who's got, you know, who who is more sensitive or who struggles more with motivation or emotional regulation. And they're like, well, why don't you just tell them to stop it right now? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like, well, and it looks like the parent is just kind of spoiling their kid when in reality, they're really working to be emotionally responsive based on a lifetime of experience with this child.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm not saying they're always doing it right all the time, but there isn't necessarily the benefit of the doubt. Right. It's kind of like, well, you just let her run all over you. Mm-hmm. And she's ruling this house and you need to say no. And you need to tell her mother no.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like David used to help one of the kids do dishes when it was their night to do dishes.
1: And I'm thinking, why are you
2: helping this child do dishes? He's 16 years old. And David made a comment to me one day. He said, that's the only time I get to spend with him. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: We have to stop being critical in our eyesight with the parents and their kids. And that's what I think we do. How many times do you feel like when you talk to people that the stepmom, especially, is sitting at that dinner table, just waiting for little Johnny to do something wrong. So she can go, hey, see, see, little Johnny just did that. Did you see what he just did? Mm -hmm. What are you going to do about it? Don't you think he should be punished? Mm -hmm. Why do we want to do that? We're trying to teach the bio parent or show the bio parent that little Johnny's not angelic, but all we're doing is making ourselves look bad.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where that disengagement can really be helpful is to step away from that circumstance versus feeling so impassioned to set that situation straight because you know you're looking at it objectively somehow Mm -hmm. which is not true at all you're not objective right
3: yeah it's funny we we hear sometimes and usually from the stepmom they say you know i came in and i saw all these problems and i wanted to fix them and the funny part is A lot of the things they say are problems are only problems in their eyes. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: The other parents like that, I don't see a problem here. There's nothing to fix. The the fact that my kids are running up and down the steps is not a problem for me. I like the pitter patter. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other person's like, it's driving me crazy. Mm -hmm. So you're, you know, you're trying to fix things that aren't broken. They're just, you know, you're, they're broken for you. And that needs to be addressed. But it has to be done properly.
1: And keeping in mind what's developmentally appropriate for children. Mm-hmm. So, and if you, let's say you do have a biological child and they did it a certain way. Well, when they were in fourth grade, they started getting up by themselves with an uh, with an alarm clock. And you're going and waking up, Johnny, every morning. Mm-hmm. My kids didn't do that. As though, therefore, the standard of all children has been set. Right. Because your child got up cheerfully in fourth grade with an alarm and you have a seventh grader who's not doing that and it doesn't mean that there can't be opportunities for discussions or I think even better is role modeling I know sometimes I have two daughters their same age one biological one stepdaughter and like there's sometimes like one of them would do something the other would be like hey that seems cool like I could do that but we didn't have to say anything Mm -hmm. They learn from each other, just like all kids learn from each other. Mm -hmm. But I think we did a pretty good job not getting over involved, especially my husband. Mm -hmm. He has always been able to be true Switzerland, where he's there to support and connect, but he's not there to like discipline and get on their cases. And so he like stays in the sweet spot for my kids like all the time.
2: There you go. Not joining is like being Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Be Switzerland, step parents. <laughs> is that yeah. what it is? Yeah, I was gonna say step but step parents too. Yeah,
1: yeah. Sometimes we have stepdads who who can be really controlling, and they want to be like dominating in the family. And they're mm-hmm. like, "I'm now the man of the house, and I'm here mm-hmm. to be directive."
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And your mom's not gonna be the only voice, mm-hmm. and that can cause conflict.
3: Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. What do you say to people that that we have this issue where they? I say it's the issue. It's an opportunity. <laughs> people come to us sometimes and they say, "I'm going to a therapist. I'm going to a counselor, and I want to talk to them about nachoing." How do I start that conversation? Because we've seen sometimes where that you know it goes badly and sometimes it's like oh great i'll look into this and they come back and they understand how they can kind of use what they're doing with what we're doing and make it work together but how how would you answer that question like how if you're already in counseling or therapy how do you bring that up and and see whether or not it's something that can can go well with what you're doing.
1: I mean it'd be really handy if you guys wrote a book (laughs) working on saying like Get on this because it needs to be a resource that is accessible for therapists to have on their on their bookshelf as a resource that they can do school discussion. And then you all need to do trainings with therapists Mm -hmm. and get us some continuing education credits to learn about different modes of of step parenting or different approaches. Mm -hmm. And so you know that's probably would be helpful. But If the book isn't written yet, I think some of it is, I mean, first of all, I think you do need to find a therapist who has some experience in truly, not just like general adjustment in families or even family conflict, but really the specifics of step families and blended families. And so I think some of that is, you know, connecting to people who sort of advertise that they do that work. And I can't imagine doing the work I do to the degree I do it if I wasn't a step-parent. And that's that can't be a thing. Like we can't have every therapist out there has lived through the thing that they have a nation. You know, right. like the therapist who specializes in suicide by definition cannot have committed suicide. You know, like, and so, you know, like, but in people really, they have some some place where it touched their lives and they feel, you know, passionate about it. But to really come home and have your biological kids still be reeling from whatever the divorce wrought on them, combine them now with other kids who've also been through a divorce, be co-parenting with a spouse that went through a divorce and everybody's had their interpretation and think that's going to go smoothly with, you know, support from your individual therapist who maybe. You know, does a really great job with depression and anxiety. It just might not quite be the best fit. There's there's divorce coaches out there. There's therapists who specialize in it. You know, I think that some of the blog posts and you know, you guys have been on like the Today Show. I don't know if it's their blog or what it is, but like being able to give them an email or some sort of resource that they can forward on to a therapist. I know if if I have a client who's like, hey, I heard about this treatment for ADHD, you know, like, have you heard of it? Like, if I haven't, I'm going to definitely make sure I'm familiar with it because Mm -hmm. I want to see, is there science? Who's the person who's touting it? Is this some flash in the pan thing that, you know, like I am happy to discuss anything that is, is, is got true support and, you know, behind it. And if it doesn't, like, we need to move on. We can't have false hope. So I think that when people can reference specific points to share with their therapists, because mm-hmm. if a therapist has no experience with, with step parenting or blended families, I could see a therapist being like, well, that doesn't seem very attachment friendly.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. We've had some people that they come to us and they'll say, like, I am... Um, I'm talking to a therapist and, you know, talk to them about, you know, the first step in, you know, the nacho parenting, which is usually the disengagement part, not, not the final step, first step. Yeah. And the, and the therapist said to me, I just need to, you just need to love them more. You need to double down on what you're doing, which I always say you're, you know, just do more of what's not working. That that Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. Um, Yeah. And they're (laughs) pushing this struggling
2: step parent to suicide at times, because they're telling them, oh, you're just doing it wrong. And the person already feels like they're doing something wrong.
1: Well, I equate it to burnout. Mm -hmm. So when we have therapists who are experiencing burnout and we, uh, you know, show signs of it, right? Like with a colleague, what our colleague is going to tell us, step back, take a breath, take care of yourself, realize what you're equipped to handle. We don't say, you know what, just see more clients. Mm -hmm. Like just you know what, just really dig in to really intense cases and you're going to find your mission again. Like no one would ever say that about burnout. And that is what step parenting that's not going well and you're being told to love harder and all of that stuff is you're driving them towards that same principle of burnout. Mm-hmm. But somehow we're expecting it to go better, even though mm-hmm. there's no other place we would give that same advice. Like that doesn't, you know, make sense to me. And sometimes how we love people, like a healthier love is stepping back. I mean, you just Mm -hmm. even think of parenting a teenager and realizing what is healthy autonomy. And the fact that your kid's not telling you about the new crush they have doesn't necessarily mean something's wrong. It Mm -hmm. might just be where they're at developmentally. And that shows them having the capacity to develop a connection to a person that's outside of their nuclear family. And it doesn't mean you're not going to be in the background quietly supportive, but you're not going to be like, all right, let me sit between you on your date and Mm -hmm. make sure this (laughs) is going well.
3: It sounds just like you wouldn't,
1: (laughs) 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 like you wouldn't do that and nobody would expect you to, but somehow with, with step parenting, you're supposed to like get in there more. Mm -hmm. I don't know.
2: Yeah. And I'm sure that you know, just from your experience, that depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts are extremely high in step parents. Because of these unrealistic expectations placed on them, whether it be from society, their significant other, their in-laws, whoever it may be, it puts them in a bad place. And then they go on Facebook and they see these rainbows and unicorn stepmoms that only show their life as, you know, being perfect and everything's great. And that just makes them feel worse. And I've said before that rainbows and unicorns, you're more looking like donkeys and tornadoes (laughs) because that's what what the reality is. It's not rainbows and unicorns, but as step parents, we've got to stop attacking other step parents too. I see it all the time in my Facebook group and other Facebook mm-hmm. groups and it drives me crazy. You get I can't people, be on
1: your your Facebook group. <laughs> I know. Our so, those two people, Our they're caregiver. so mean to each other. And there's some movie I wish I could think of what it is or a TV show and it was it's one of those situations where dad marries like uh on, you know, his second partner and she's really, you know, just pretty and cheerful and stuff. And there's somebody who they're at like a party or a birthday party or something. And one parent says to her, like, Oh my goodness, your stepson's getting so, so big. And she's like, <laughs> he can't stand me, <laughs> you know? And she just like, you can see her and like, she kind of tries to laugh it off, but you could tell she's like on the verge of a breakdown. Yes. <laughs> he absolutely hates me. <laughs> and, and you're, you're kind of left with like, Whoa, that's not, what I expected her to say, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, oh my goodness, there's so many step parents who have that feeling, and and also, you know, a lot of step kids feel that way too. Like my yeah. step parent doesn't like me; they they find me annoying. They are on my case all the time, mm-hmm. and I mean, they're not dumb dumbs. Like they get the vibe most of mm-hmm. the time. Oh, definitely, mm-hmm.
2: and, and I know my Facebook group is off the chain. I try to remember, though, a lot of times the hurt people hurt people.
1: Yeah.
2: So I try to give people a little leeway. But usually you can tell people that are just downright mean. And not your one's not going to make you not be mean. <laughs> you've got. Yeah, you've Sounds got to like solve that. Yeah, you've got a lot to work on. And it's not your stepkids that's making you mean. You were mean before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's
1: a that's a good point. And, You might feel like you have a reason now, you know, to be, to be mean. Mm -hmm. And I tell parents, like, if you're struggling or absolutely failing to have any charitable thoughts towards your stepchildren, you are absolutely burned out. You are probably hurting them like Mm -hmm. emotionally. Your co-parent's going to see it and that's going to make them really struggle with you because I know as a parent, probably the most horrifying thing my husband could do would be to be mean to my children. Yes. And so there, to me, there just isn't a choice at that point, as far as, like you said, like self-preservation, but there's sometimes I'm like, all right, if you have the story you're telling yourself on what stepmotherhood looks like, fine. You tell your brain that all day long, but you're hurting these kids. Like Mm -hmm. you have, if you can't do it for yourself, like do it for these kids. Like, Sometimes with the work that I do, I have to sort of give them permission to redefine what stopmothering looks like Yes, and give them the ability to like, say no, set the boundaries, regroup, take care of themselves, connect with the things that they do feel successful at, whether it's working on this cool project at work or having coffee with a friend you haven't seen in a while,
0: mm-hmm. because
1: the energy that can be burned up from hyper-focusing on all the ways that your spouse and stepkids are letting you down. And then not to mention what negativity you might be communicating about these other family members to your biological children who are also tasked with forming a relationship with these kids yes. and the other step-parent. I mean, it gets really messy. And so sometimes like the most clear, easiest thing to do is step back. And it doesn't have to be mean. It doesn't have to be said snidely. Right. You know, you don't have to have passive aggressive statements. Like it's the quiet, calm as being the quiet, calm in the storm, because I promise you it's been storming Mm -hmm. and you may have been part of the center of it, but like you can choose to step away from that. And like, we talk about how you would do that specific examples going through, okay, what would dinner like, look like, what would dinner time look like if you didn't harp on their manners? Or if you didn't get all upset in anticipation that one of your stepkids is, isn't going to like what you made, or they're not right. going to eat what you made. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Or get all upset on Wednesday because the stepkids are coming Friday <laughs> and you're mm-hmm. stressed out two days before they come. And you've created these scenarios in your head of how horrible it's going to be.
3: Yeah, I like it's, it.
2: It's not going to be positive if that's what you're thinking.
3: I, I, I told somebody one time, I said, you need to think about sometimes that it's not necessarily things that are happening to you. There's things that are happening because of you. Mm. Dude, you would have thought I was spitting this person's face. They were like, what? <laughs> uh, you put that in my Facebook group. I did, yeah, I did that too. Yeah. yeah I, so it's I tough a,
1: because you're yeah. trying not to trash other step-parents, but then there's times where we're like, oh, it actually is you. And that's, you have to have that compassion and the authority to be able to say that and not have them feel like you're just like, You know, pooping on their attempts to create a new family.
3: Right. Yeah. Well, you also have to understand that oftentimes, no matter what's going on in the family, most of the time you have some role you're playing in this. And it's not that you're the bad guy, a bad woman, whatever. It's just that you play a role in it. And I can look back and say, for as much problem as I thought, Lori was primarily in the relationship in the beginning because she was overstepping and she was overparenting and she was doing all this stuff mainly because I asked her to I didn't realize it at the time but you know I kind of put her those expectations up front she was just doing what I, I expected and then I didn't want it and then it was oh <laughs> but looking back on it I can say wow I had actually a, a not only a role but I had a fairly big role in the bad things that were happening but they were, it was like I looked at Lori as the problem, but I was, it was more of a symptom. The problem was more about the expectations I put on her, the expectations that we both had of what this is supposed to look like, and then all these other things of the 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 lens that we were looking through, the stories we were telling ourselves. Those were all the problems. It was the symptom was just all the chaos on the top.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean that makes sense. It's all families are dynamics. you know, are it's it's a family dynamic. Everybody has a role to play in it. You know, theoretically, we're the adult with the adult brain brain who should have more self-control than the children. But there's so many times a parent will say, a step parent will say, "But he, but they, and I'm like, oh, but you're the grown-up. Like you're going to have to tap into your grown- up. You get to drive yourself to a counselor or use your debit card to pay for a divorce coach or buy a coffee with your friend on a Saturday instead of listening the kids squabble with their dad about getting ready for soccer.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: you actually get to tap out because you're the step-parent, not the parent. Right. And like choose differently. And so it can be really important for them to focus on, you know, what they can control.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And do that because you can't make your step kid not eat like a pig or your stepdaughter love doing homework or follow through with, you know, a request to empty the dishwasher. You just, that can't be the circus you're, you're part of.
2: Right. And you can't make your significant other make them do that also. So I can't make David make his kids stop eating like they're at a zoo. Or I can't make Mm -hmm. David make his kids do the chores the way I think they should be done. And I think a lot of it, it boils down to control. And one of the things that I learned when creating this Nacho Kids method was I was trying to control things I had no control over in the first place. But what I did have control over is how I let these things affect me. I can be mad about the dishes not being done for two days if I want to, but who wants to be like that? And mm. so when I started putting things in a different perspective, my life is so much less stressful. I'm not saying it's completely stress-free because I am married to David. <laughs> You're a <in> person,
1: but <laughs> you exist. Yeah. Right. But
2: if something happens and something gets torn up, it's not the end of the world. I've learned with the stepkids, I put up stuff that I didn't want to get broken. Same thing with my kid or the dogs. You put those things up because you don't want them to get broken because you don't want to have to deal with that. But things happen. And for instance, my nephew and one of David's kids were wrestling in the living room. And now this was recently, last couple of years. So they were adults at the time. But I'm cheering them on. You know, I'm right there in it. Well, David's kid lifted up my nephew and his foot hit the light in the, um, on the ceiling fan and it fell and it broke and it chipped the floor. Normally, pre-nacho, <laughs> I would have been sick about that. Honestly, for probably a week. Because it was a new floor, it was a new light and it's broken. But you know what? I'm choosing to look at that because I still have not replaced that lampshade or that light cover. We don't need it. It's fine. We get more light without it. But anytime I see that chip on the floor, I'm looking at it as a good memory that we have with his son and with my nephew rather than, oh, my floor's ruined.
1: And or this was done to you somehow. Like right. these kids did this to me or my stepson did this. Kids were playing you were actually encouraging it. Yes. And an accident (laughs) happened. Right. Like it was just an accident. Right. Versus if you frame it as like, look what he did. He doesn't respect our home. There Mm -hmm. he goes again, breaking things. Mm
0: -hmm. Just
1: like he's done time and time again. Right. When you create that narrative, yeah, you're going to be really frustrated by it and it's going to linger.
2: Yeah. But we have so much control over our thoughts. Mm. And that's one of the things And one of the challenges we have in the academy is change your stinking thinking because you can take that thought and you can let it spiral into the stick kid did it on purpose. They're always tearing up stuff, how much money we're having to spend to replace things that they broke, how disrespectful they are, blah, blah, blah. Or you can stop and say, it was an accident. And I'm not going to let it take five minutes of joy away from my life. Mm -hmm. And of course, I'm not saying sweep your emotions under the rug, but. If you need to be mad, take five minutes, set a timer and be mad. When you sit there with a timer and try to be mad for five minutes, that's a long time. <laughs>
3: well, but what, yet we will let things carry with us for months if we let it. Well, what people don't often realize is these these stories like what you were just saying, where how you tell yourself these stories. Oftentimes these things happen so quickly that we don't realize that we're telling ourselves these stories.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And we are. In, in every circumstance, it's happening. And then when something happens, it goes through the lens of that story quickly, sometimes in the blink of an eye. And then that's how you choose to then react because you're not reacting necessarily to the truth. You're reacting to the story that you told yourself. It's filtered through that story. Yep.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot can have to do with your childhood. Because yeah. I've realized a lot of things that uh, I say, I don't know the word I'm looking for, that come natural to me. Come from my mom and how she treated me, and I have to stop that because there was not a good relationship there. So I have to pause, and a lot of times we don't pause. That's something else that we teach in the academy is you've got to pause. Now men are great with their thirty second delay;
3: we're perfect. Yeah, they're
2: just like mm. yeah.
3: <laughs> you think about it, yeah,
0: where women, you know, we're Johnny on the
2: spot. The step kid does something, and before. David could even turn his head to look. We're saying, look what he did. Or we're fussing at the kid. We have to pause. And I've learned that when I pause or when a step-parent pauses, it allows the bio parent to see these things for themselves and removes the target off of our back
3: for paddling on the kid. What I remember, there was a time when I honestly could not go to the mailbox. I was afraid to walk to the mailbox because the two minutes it would take to walk down the driveway and back, all heck would have broke loose,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and he's not exaggerating. Yeah, I'm like, all, all the kids get in the car. We're going to the mailbox. Let's <laughs> because... <laughs> all hold
1: hands and walk to the end of the yeah, driveway. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: I cannot leave anybody alone with Lori because something will blow up.
1: Oh, mm-hmm. that's so hard. That's such a stressful place to be in. I know that with kind of the reframing that I encourage parents to do, I do this with kids too. It's like you know, to tell yourself something truthful, Mm -hmm. but positive.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so to say, oh, goodness, thankfully, the cover to that light is just not very expensive to replace. I can buy one on Amazon. Right. Like, this is a problem that's easily solved. Like, it costs $9.99 to get a globe for that light fixture to put back up there. Like, this is a a thing that, with a click of Amazon button, is solved. Right. Or, you know, there's something that's truthful is, gosh, the boys were getting really getting wild, but I'm glad they were having fun
0: mm-hmm.
1: or, you know, something like, you know, maybe that even might be more kumbaya than even what feels authentic. Mm-hmm. But you know, I tell people all the time, like there is a truth, something you can tell. I'm not telling you to, you know, blow smoke and pretend that something is amazing when it's not right. But there is ways that this can be framed. That is truthful, but also has Mm -hmm. the positive spin on it. And it takes practice. Like you said, you know, what feels natural, that default thinking that you, you know, have kind of programmed into you because of hearing a certain message from your, your parents or whatever, Mm -hmm. from, you know, the beginning of time, like you're, you're, you're having to like deprogram that. And if you are just like, I need to stop thinking this way, it's not as effective as saying, what am I going to think of instead? Right. Like my brain wants to say that he did it on purpose, mm-hmm. but like, what's the act of almost like a mantra mm-hmm. that you can say when your stepkid refuses to eat your dinner, you know, another time that the next time, or when it feels like your spouse is being oblivious to the annoying things their kids are doing or, you know, whatever, like you got to have some default, mm-hmm. Like you need to have a replacement thought that's right. there and ready that you yes. can go to and teach your brain to do that more automatically instead of going to the the negative, maybe even irrational or untruthful thought right? and linger there. And then you're trying to dig yourself out of that emotional hole.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And like, it takes practice.
2: Oh yeah. I, I know I pass the house every day. Well, when I would go somewhere every day, but every mm-hmm. time I leave the house and come back, I pass the house that my sister died in. Well, the first few times that I would pass the house, I would see in my head the picture of her lying on the floor dead. And I would relive it every time that I passed that house. And one day I said, I've got to stop. I have got to stop. And I knew how to replace my thoughts. So there's a picture that she took where she's holding her nose up like a pig. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was before I even get to the house, I start thinking about that picture. I think of where she's sitting, what chair it is, what outfit she has on. So by the time I've passed that house, I haven't allowed myself to think about her lying on the floor dead. Mm-hmm. And we can do that. We can convince ourselves of other things and replace those thoughts. And it's so much better when we do that. I know, um, I think you and I talked about this when we did your podcast, Dr. Daniel Amon.
1: Oh, gosh, I can't remember. I what did we love say about him. it?
2: He's actually spoke at our church and he, you know, studies brains. Well, our preacher is an ex-NFL player, so he had his brain scanned and all this. So I started researching him and looking into his studies. And it's amazing what we can do with our minds. We can convince ourselves we climb Mount Everest. I live in South Carolina, but I can convince myself I climbed Mount Everest yesterday. <laughs> It's
1: crazy to think what you can convince yourself That's It's
3: called getting out of bed. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I uh, recently had Dr. Layla Forbes on my podcast. The episode hasn't been released yet. And she is an expert in chronic pain management through therapy. So she's Mm -hmm. not like giving pain pills Mm -hmm. or neurofeedback or, you know, or or physical therapy or something like that. She's a mental health therapist who basically does like a whole cognitive restructuring experience Mm -hmm. to teach clients to not cue their brain to be so quick to experience pain or make the Mm -hmm. assumption or anticipate pain. Right. And I am not doing it justice at all, how she explained it. But I had back in April, I had, what is it called? Shingles, which is incredibly painful. And so I was, so even though when I had her come on the podcast, I was like, oh, I have no real experience with this and then when she was talking about like how your default thinking is and anti- the anticipatory pain and like the rituals you can end up going into
0: mm-hmm.
1: that contributes to you experiencing pain more and like causing your nerves to actually be more prepared to fire in the way that causes painful feelings and how the work she does is like reprogramming that whole system mm-hmm. Mm-hmm to minimize pain because, you know, some people have these, I mean, I was lucky enough that you have shingles and you take the medicine and you have, you know, maybe some residual nerve pain and, you know, you're, it passes and, but other people are living a lifetime, you know, of pain yes. and they have to have a way to manage it. And she, that's what she does for her work. And it was such a great tangible illustration of how our thinking. Yes. And, you know, that those go-to Internal assumptions contribute to tangible physical symptoms like that, mm-hmm. and how she is is reprogramming the situation to give these people relief. And it was I, I just I thought it was fascinating. Like I was always into learning more about it, but like how she described it, how relatable it was. Yes. and you know talking about kind of the trauma of that people experience when they have chronic pain. And you know we're talking about step parenting. And it's not the same thing, but there is an element in which if you're not doing it mindfully, you can walk around this world, just feeling like you're repeatedly falling on your face over and over and over. And it feels relentless and it feels like it's never going to end. No one appreciates you. And this Mm -hmm. is never going to get better. And these kids just don't appreciate me or whatever,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. man, you're in that spiral. Yes. Like, how are you going to take joy in your marriage or these kids? Exactly. Exactly.
2: I'm it's actually like they forget got, their people. Yes. You've definitely got me interested. I'm going to have to check her out mm-hmm. because Dr. When, you were Layla ta- Forbes. when you were talking about her, I'm thinking, look at how this relates to set families. Mm-hmm. It, it's completely relatable. Yeah. Yep. I want yeah, to ask really you is. something about co-parenting. Yeah.
0: Cause What's you that? said
2: that you deal with, <laughs> you deal with co-parenting. Do you deal with co-parenting between the
1: exes? Mostly, I do for the parents who are newly either newly split up, like they're separated, or they're divorced. They may have, may or may not have new partners, and they are trying to both parent their biological, you know, shared child.
2: Okay. And the reason I ask is because we always need resources for things that is not in our wheelhouse or things that are not in our wheelhouse. And co parenting is one of them. My ex. Basically, said, unless it's a medical emergency regarding my son, don't contact me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have a good co parenting relationship with his ex. There was always a competition kind of thing. So, what would you say? And I'm just curious because I'm almost through with the 18 year mark with my son and his dad. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> when you have one person that absolutely refuses, to co-parent anything that is told to them you could say I gave little Johnny Tylenol at three o'clock because it's important to know what time you gave medicine and they hear you don't know how to parent you idiot so here's the instructions to give little Johnny Tylenol and I gave it to him at three o'clock or just anything is taken out of context to where it's an attack on them what would you tell somebody like that Cause I just gave up trying.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And there's a certain degree where there's, you know, some of those same principles apply here of not showing applies Mm -hmm. where you, you have to do your due diligence to communicate. So there is a fantastic resource out there named Bill Eddy is his name, Mm E-D-D-Y. And he's written a series of books and he is a licensed clinical social worker and a former attorney. And so he does a lot of like parenting seminars and things like that. But he has a principle called BIF, which is B-I-F-F, and it's Brief, Informative, Firm, and Friendly. And he basically talks about how your communication, and when you you have a high conflict acts, typically a good kind of policy is to shift to not doing in-person communication, not standing in the driveway or trying to talk at the baseball game where you're sending oh, no, texts, no. <laughs> emails and it's it's all just documented and there's you're, you're able to do the pause thing where you can um you know think about your response and so it's so a lot of it is is I will take the communication like we we go ahead and have it become written.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: then from there I'm like all right let's pull some examples here and let's talk about what you actually need to attend to. And the fact is Johnny took medicine at three o'clock and he took, you know, whatever, two milliliters. And then when he comes back, I'm like, why are you telling me how to parent? Like, that's all garbage. Like, you Mm -hmm. don't, there's no.
2: Don't entertain it.
1: Need to respond here. Like I I teach parents, like respond to what you have to, like, if he says, well, are you giving him baby Tylenol? Are you giving him children's Tylenol? Like that's an actionable question. Maybe you think they're asking it snidely or whatever, but like, there's a there's a finite answer. I gave I, them, I gave him chill and chill. Like, there's an answer. Right. But I don't know why you always think he needs to take Tylenol. I feel like every time he has a fever, you feel like you have to medicate it with some sort of over the counter. You know, we need to like starve a fever or whatever. You know, like none of that needs to be responded to. Like right. you are a competent parent. You made the decision to give him Tylenol, children's Tylenol, two milliliters at three p.m. You've conveyed it to your parent your co-parent, like we're done here. Right. But a lot of parents feel the need to defend themselves, to yes. engage. I'm going to keep talking until he or she sees that I made a good decision. The reality is <laughs> it wouldn't matter. They're not right. going to think you made a good decision and you have to stop caring. Yes. That, you know, of whether or not they feel you are. Like I'm literally a parenting expert. Like that's what my job is. Mm-hmm. I write parenting books. I have a parenting podcast. I, you know, I'm an expert in this. There's one person in the world who thinks I'm a terrible parent. One. Your ex. <laughs> it, yeah. it doesn't have to do with Dr. Terry Egan. It has to do with the role that I am, which is ex-wife. Right. And it's just actually not that personal. Now I say this 12 years out. So I mean I wouldn't have said this one year out. So right.
2: yeah, we tell people all the time that the whole nacho process, you can apply it to different things. Like I nacho Walmart. You know, I did. I nachoed my ex. I just, I gave up trying to have that co-parenting relationship. We parallel parent, uh, basically any messages are, he has a doctor's appointment for this. Your percentage Mm -hmm. is going to be this, basically. And in the beginning though, pre-nacho, it wasn't like that. And David wasn't like that either. We would spend Hours, days, trying to respond to these stupid emails that the exes sent attacking us and wanting to address every single little thing they said. And it didn't take long
3: before we realized no, I'm done with this. The the best conversation stopper is the word, okay. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) Right.
2: So if anything needed to be addressed, those things were addressed. Yes, little Johnny has a volleyball game at such and such time, whatever. But if nothing had needed to be addressed, okay, received. That way they know you got it because you didn't want them to know you got it. Because if not, they're going to keep messaging you, wanting to make sure you got it. Or my ex, one of his favorite things was, whatever, Lori. <laughs> I hated that. Mm-hmm. And I still, I, he, there's something about that that gripes me. Which he and knows. I, yes, yes. Of course. He knows how to push my buttons probably better than anybody. Well, my son and David now, but <laughs> it's the saying my name. If he would have just said whatever, it doesn't have the same impact as when he says whatever, Lori.
1: And there's no judge who's going to be like, How dare you say her name? Right. Like <laughs> it's right. You know what I mean? Like it's very, it's very subtle. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm not above acknowledging I've probably used that same strategy to just, <laughs> it's passive aggressive, it's childish, you know? And it's its a clear, easy sort of win to inflame somebody. Mm-hmm. And when you just learn to disengage from that or you do, you know, the, the eye roll mm-hmm. and stuff. And I, I think for me, it's so freeing for me to recognize like, the people I respect, I want to respect me, right? The people I don't respect. I don't need to respect me because like, we're just fundamentally different. Like we're just not on the same page. I can't win them all. It would be great if I could with my ex. I mean, that would be fantastic, but like, there's just a point when that ship has sort of sailed and you got to just mentally move on. I have my, my best friend who's not a therapist. She's just a good person. She, um, one time when I was going to through court stuff and mediation and I was driving to this deposition and I called her and I was just like, I just feel so shaky. I'm just really struggling. I'm so nervous. And she like walked me through this imagery of like putting the stressful things in a backpack
0: Yes, and like
1: we put it in and then we zipped it up and we threw it off the cliff. Mm -hmm. And she's like, talk and, you know, and, and it's not that she, I mean, she's super, Intuitive, you know, this wasn't like a therapy exercise. This was just in the moment, her like Mm -hmm. getting me to calm down because it's so nerve wracking doing all the court stuff. Yes. And, but I mean, man, I have used that analogy so many times since Mm -hmm. then for various reasons. And I've coached, you know, clients and stuff through whatever version of that speaks to them. Mm -hmm. But there are times when when it comes to the co-parenting relationships, kind of as strong as the weakest member.
0: Mm -hmm. So
1: if you have somebody who's just not going to take it seriously, show respect, have a level of collaboration.
2: Be an adult.
1: (laughs) Yeah, be interested in in keeping the conflict low, you know, then you got to do what you can do and you don't need to always bark back. Yes. And it's super empowering when, the person is just—they're there, and they're refreshing their email. And they're like, "I know she's gonna reply." And you're yes. Just
0: like,
1: delete, and you've moved on to go and swim in with your family. Mm-hmm. Like, that is the most powerful thing you can do.
3: Yes. Yeah. Well, maybe someday he'll thank you.
1: Maybe I don't think so. I don't think so. And the thing is, is I kind of just don't like need him to. Thankfully, I mean, you you get to that place where you're just there's so much about it that actually isn't personal. Yeah. Yes. You know, and now I know co parenting or parallel parenting when you have somebody, a child who has serious health concerns or is really struggling behaviorally or something like, you know, I have pretty easy kids. Like, mm-hmm. we just don't need to have a ton of communication. We have the freedom, true freedom, to parallel parent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the big win for my kids is the conflict is low. Mm-hmm. And and then if there is some, indis, you know, discrepancy or something between houses, like the downside of that is not overcoming the win of us not having conflict. But if you have, you know, you're trying to parent a kid where you're making medical decisions or there needs to be really clear and constant communication. I mean, I've I've, I've had kids who are, they're suffering from like a genetic disorder and they're on a huge series of medicines and they're trying to coordinate Nursing care and, yeah, I mean sometimes their stress level is so high that they just don't have the energy to fight, mm-hmm. and you know that's sad in its own way. But those are families like the what ends up happening if you can't co-parent is custody just gets given to one parent,
2: and yes. the other parent
1: gets phased out. Yes, you
2: know you mentioned in some of the struggles with co-parenting and having an ill child. I think that's one of the things that helped me put things into perspective too, when it came with the stepkids. I remember reading a post someone had put in my Facebook group. Stepkid took a black Sharpie and wrote on the back of their new white leather couch. This woman was devastated. Mm. She wanted to end her marriage because of this. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. First of all, it's on the back of the couch. Slide it up against the wall. (laughs) you know change that negative to a positive (laughs) but then I had a friend that she had a daughter that had a terminal illness and I remember thinking what that friend would not give for her child to be able to walk to the couch and ride on that couch and we do
1: have to be careful though about comparing pains yes you know because there can always be like how dare you feel sad because my this other person's pain like you know what that is hugely disrespectful. That was an expensive couch. She didn't deserve to be treated that way. And now you do all that thinking
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then you come back around to, thank goodness it's just a couch. Right. You know, like, because that kid who wrote on it, assuming they weren't three years old, because mm-hmm. three-year-olds are going to write on anything and it's right. not personal. That, that kid was sending you a message. Like, they probably know you well enough to know how much you valued that couch. Mm-hmm. Just like my husband just bought a Corvette and we keep joking that he, lo- we that my husband loves the car more than us. Oh, and he so does. It, yeah. <laughs> he does. And like, it'll be like kind of around bedtime and he'll have just appeared and we're all like, oh, Pete's going and saying goodnight to his car. <laughs> and I think he does. I'm pretty sure. I know he misses it when he goes out of town, but Ooh. man, if my kids went out there and scratched his car. I mean, there is no other way you could hurt him more.
0: Mm -hmm. Like
1: it would be, he probably could tolerate someone like running over his mother
0: more than, you know what I mean? And so like,
1: and that is when when you say the devastation thing, like the amount of disrespect and like spitefulness that that must have felt like to that Mm stepmom. And Oh, I have sympathy, you know, it breaks my heart to think how painful that must have been. And you're right. right, It is a couch and your kid is healthy and you're going to get through this. And someday you're going to be like, oh my gosh, remember when you were 15 Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and you did that? Like I could have killed you. And the kid hopefully at that point is like, I was such a jerk.
2: Yes. Yes, and
1: hopefully he's also like, and my dad killed me.
3: Mm-hmm. Like
1: I was grounded forever, you know, like yeah. you know, I mean, hopefully. and
3: I bought you a new couch. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. And then we got that even better couch.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And so and or we turned that couch around, and we all looked at that marker for the next six months. Yes. Nobody said anything. You continued on with your day and your life. But mm-hmm. that kid. Because I'm telling you, if my kids willfully scratched my husband's Corvette and in a moment of spite, like that's not who they are,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: like most kids in my work are not thrilled with that choice that they made. They might in the moment be like, you know, you know, I'm against you and all that stuff. But like that feeling when you stoop to that level does not feel good for kids. Right. But the stepmom. She's going to remember that moment of triumph that kid had. And she's going to hang on to it forever. Mm-hmm. And I could
2: relate to her because before Jackson, I had two things that were my babies. One was I had a Ram Air Trans Am <laughs> and I had, and I still have a buckskin couch. I love my couch. I have baby that couch. It's 26 years old now. And I mean, it still functions. It still looks good because I was so protective of my couch and babied my couch. But I remember a friend of mine was sitting on the couch drinking when I first got it. And I was like, No, no, you don't drink on the couch. (laughs) And she's like, Excuse me, Martha Stewart. (laughs) And I said, No, you don't drink on my couch. And you're more than welcome to go sit at the table or sit in this chair, whatever. But I don't want you spilling something on my couch. And I remember she got so mad at me. She said, you were going to end up lonely and with your couch, <laughs> so, but when I read this from the stepmom, I remember thinking, i I know where she's coming from. Mm-hmm. You've got these things you work hard for them, but I also have learned to not put that much emotional weight on yes. materialistic things. And it wasn't easy doing that because. David will tell you when I buy something new, I don't even want to use it because I don't want to mess it up. Mm-hmm. But That's how you
1: get to be the lady who has plastic on your couch.
2: Yes. Hey, that's the next step.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But <laughs> for me, I was thinking to myself when I saw that post and I went through my thoughts on it of how I understood and then how looking at it from a different perspective and giving it the right emotional weight, I'm thinking, man, I've come a long way. And then when that happened with my light, I'm like, I really have come a long way. Mm-hmm. David and Ethan both said that they were just waiting for me to flip out when it happened. Yeah. Because in the past, that's what I would have done.
1: There's times when I work with parents and I'm like, okay, like feel the feeling, feel yes. the grief and the disrespect and the outrage and the all the things that come from having the marker on your white couch. Mm-hmm. And, and then that's where you get out your backpack again. And Mm -hmm. you tuck them away and you put some perspective on it and be able to get to a place of moving on. Because even if you divorce the guy and never see his kids again, your couch isn't coming back. That's right. It's still got marker on it. That's right. And you can't stay in that state forever. Mm -hmm. And so there might be in the nacho spirit, well, you look around the house and you find the things that really matter to you. And maybe it's time to tuck them away. Right. Because we all also have the couch that could be markered on, and we kind of wouldn't care. Right. And so, yeah. <laughs> you know, those are the things like, just like you do when you have a toddler, right. You don't wear mm-hmm. the necklace, your kid's going to grab and you don't put the wine on the edge of the table for them to pull it down on themselves. Like you learn and with the dogs and all that stuff, like, you know, occasionally our dog will eat our remote. And I'm like, I get that Lola shouldn't eat the remote. Like a hundred percent. I agree with you, but you know what? We have a dog who spaces eye level with the counter and like, we also can choose to get into the habit of putting the remote in the middle of the counter instead of on the edge. And like, what's actually the shorter way to get to a win here? Is it spending $4,000 on training for Lola so she doesn't eat remotes or is it moving the remote to the middle of the counter and understanding probably about every six months or so she's going to eat one and we're going to spend $11
2: right?
1: and like, and be at peace. Mm-hmm. Like I can't. I can't get outraged about this $11 remote. I just can't. Right. And so put that stuff away when you got, you know, protect it. That's okay. Set that boundary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if you didn't and what's done is done, do your grieving, get to a place of moving on and keep going. Yeah.
2: A lot of people think that not chilling is just, oh, I can't say anything. I have to act like it doesn't bother me. No, feel it. Mm-hmm. But don't attack your husband or your significant other and don't attack the stepkids. Go outside and hit and kick a tree. <laughs> Whatever you need to do. Go well for you. Yeah, you can hit up in the hospital. Yeah. Get a punching bag. That's a good idea. Get a punching bag. <laughs> and, and feel your emotions because if you don't feel them, they're gonna fester up and you're gonna explode like a volcano one day. But you've got to feel them, but you've also got to not let them consume your life. I remember one of the kids scratched my car intentionally. There was no doubt.
3: There's no proof. (laughs) And
2: I even went out there and showed David, it was a broken golf club. I said, look, it fits perfectly with those scratches. Oh, he was in denial. And I don't mean the river. (laughs) So I still think about that occasionally and not from a perspective of it makes me mad, but it's more of how I knew they did it, but he wasn't He wasn't going there because there was no proof. Which honestly, if there would have been video proof, it still wouldn't have mattered. (laughs) It wouldn't have mattered, and I couldn't fix it. It had happened. I chose to be mad about it and then move past it. And thank God it was on the passenger passenger side, so I didn't see it very often.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's when you walk around the car and make sure you don't look at it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, close your
2: eyes when you get to that side.
1: Yeah, Yeah. it's hard because you know, like sometimes it's not so much about the scratch as much as it's sad to have a scratch in the car if you had seen it happen with the kid where somebody swiped side swiped i mean you knew a hundred percent it wasn't their fault mm-hmm. it would still be devastating that there's a scratch in the car like it would still be really a big bummer right but when you have that same experience and then you're putting all this weight and assumption and and you know that this was done purposely it was done to you the thing is, is if your kid is in a space or one of your kids is in a space where they're taking a golf club and scratching a car and some things are just done impulsively, some things are just done in a flash and there right. really isn't like some big, you know, behind the scenes.
3: Premeditated. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
1: Sometimes, I mean, kids just, same with adults, sometimes that happens, but there are sometimes, you know, the things that really hurt are where it's done. I had a kid on um, one time where. I don't know. They had had some sort of consequence, like a really mainstream, like you can't have your iPad after dinner or something. And the kid waited till the mom was asleep. Or maybe she was like going out with some friends and was staying home with dad, something, you know, where the kid waited. And then the kid went upstairs and ripped page after page out of her like signed, autographed something of a famous sports person. Like it was, it was monetarily valuable as well as really sentimental mm-hmm. like and it was a bio kid did it to a bio mom i can't even imagine how much it worse it would have been a step kid done it to a, a step
3: mom oh yeah. it'd have been relationship ending. yeah <laughs> yeah times and i worse. just
1: I, I remember you know the premeditation and when when i talked to the kid about it they're like well she shouldn't have taken away my ipad oh my <laughs> <God>. no remorse <laughs> no like I know I did it and I I don't even know what I was thinking because sometimes kids you're like why'd you do that and they're like I don't even know and they don't Mm -hmm. they're not lying to you they don't know right but man in this situation she's like I waited three hours until my mom left the house and then I went up there and ripped every page out and it's like she ripped the pages out and then scribbled on them like it was like a double whammy you know and so anyway like there's, there's no way to frame that to not be just absolutely awful. But if your kid's doing that, there's something going on. You yes. need to get them some support because they're struggling. Yes. And it's like, not just about you.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. And most of the time with step kids, it's not about you either. Mm-hmm.
1: It's about, yeah, what,
2: it's you about what you represent. Yeah. <laughs> <Twinning>. <laughs> 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 you
1: represent. Yeah. Winning.
2: Well, you said you have written a couple of books or have written a book at least
1: book three you've written? books. Okay. So I have right here. I'm gonna since we're videoing it. I only have three here. Or two here. So this is the best one. This is um. It's called Better Behavior Ages Two to Ten.
0: Okay. And
1: written by me, Dr. Terry Egan. Okay. And this one it has a lot of really great behavioral, common sense behavioral principles that literally will apply to any child, basically any age. Mm-hmm. But it talks about the different components of really solid, consistent parenting, you know, how to get your kids to listen, how to give consequences, how to reinforce, how to be a good communicator. And I refer to it like all the time. I have copies in my office and there's things that I reference over and over. Mm-hmm. So that is a really mine on Amazon. The second one I wrote is one for teenagers. It's called Adolescence, a parent's guide. And it breaks down kind of in chunks of ages like i think it starts at like age 8 and looking at like before we're in the adolescent years and then it goes all the way through into young adulthood and having your kids like be in that emerging adult stage mm-hmm. of you know common issues ways to communicate it's got some some good kind of scenarios that you sort of can play out and how to communicate with your kids mm-hmm. about and then the last one hate it when I have to remember all the titles, but it's something like first time's first time mom's toddler handbook, I think is what it's called. It's yellow. And that is meant to be for parents who are have a have a toddler for the first time and they're trying to set the stage to be like emotionally responsive and set the stage for success when it comes to their kids you know being able to respond to them in a developmentally appropriate way but setting the stage for them to be like good listeners be connected well, we can control yourself <laughs> have
3: you written, have a new... You've written a book you written a book yet yeah, for for old ladies uh to use
1: <laughs> what there's no way I'm responding to that you're in trouble <laughs>
3: yes
2: david sims <laughs> evilness is coming out
1: (laughs) the one thing I haven't really written about is co-parenting and I get frozen because I feel like it's hard to 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 sum it all up you know and some of this behavioral stuff just seems more there are some kind of rules to go by good common sense Mm -hmm. best practices but I think when it comes to blending families co-parenting like new research coming out all the time I live through a professional experience that is one that I haven't lived through before. And I learn something new. And so I get kind of frozen with like having to commit and have words be in a book for all of eternity. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if you guys have that issue with your nachos stuff or not, but. Well, our, our
3: issue is that um, we actually talked about this with somebody the other night is that oftentimes When you listen to our podcast and go through some of our courses, you almost see and hear things that are contradicting one another. And it's not that it's contradictory as much as it's information dependent upon where you are in your journey. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, as they they say in the legal world, it's a fact-specific determination. And so we find that if people take one podcast or even just a handful, they can grab this one idea of what it is and then somebody else is listening to another two or three podcasts and they and they have a completely different opinion of what nachoing is
2: right because our guests are going through different things and they're in different places in their relationships
3: yeah and and so we have we sometimes have people say i don't you know it sounds like it's being mean to the kids or it sounds like this and i'm like well you know, you, like you mentioned earlier, early on in the podcast, you did your research, you Googled, you read, you listened for some reason, that's a lost art. People don't want to look into anything. They want to just, you know, somebody tell me real quick in three sentences what this thing is.
1: (laughs) Well, or they are looking at sources that are ridiculous. Like some (laughs) random lady in Idaho, Mm -hmm. who's got seven stepchildren Mm -hmm. and that's her only frame of reference. Right. Is not your expert. Whereas when you are like you guys working with, you know, dozens, hundreds, whatever of people, you're living, you've lived it, you are living it. You know, somebody like me who, I mean, I probably get, I don't know, 15, 20 referrals a month for co parenting, blended family type stuff. Mm -hmm. And I work, you know, I'm doing trainings and all stuff to stay on top of it. Like, don't have the one clickbait article Mm
0: -hmm.
1: on BuzzFeed or whatever, and have that be the Bible you're living by Mm -hmm. when it comes to managing this. Mm -hmm. So it all, you're right about the context of it, where they are in their journey, the personalities that are involved. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're co-parenting with a spouse who is sort of used to being a little bit more passive and maybe having, you know, the mother or the father in the house take on a different, you know, a role versus somewhere else. You know, like in my family, the the mother is the stronger, more assertive person. Mm-hmm. But Mine in too. other, yeah, in other, you know, and it can depend on cultures and stuff like that. It goes the other way. I'm and it's all got to be taken into account. Not you. Yeah.
3: So you can be as assertive as you want. My, all my kids are moved out. So <laughs> 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 we are in a different phase of life. Yes. Yeah. So we get to take, uh, I, I told somebody one time that, you know, I finally got to the point where I don't have to deal with the eggs that much. And now grandkids are coming into the picture. And now the oh, eggs are coming back. <laughs> and so, yeah, you know, now we got to do all that stuff all over again. There was a little hiatus where I didn't have to deal with it. But a mm-hmm. very brief one. Now it's back. But it's 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 back, but it's also different. It is. Because it's not, I know we it's our grandkid we share together, but it's still a different feeling. It's because I don't have a responsibility for that grandkid like I did my bio kid.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and you can. It is a little easier to do separate grandparenting time, and you might join together on the first birthday or certain events. Typically, there's other people there too, like at a group. Mm-hmm. And so, whereas when you're when you're co-parenting with this other person singly, and having your focus on your bio child, it's just it is a very different experience. I have my stepkid, My stepson has two children, and. I don't know. My husband co-parents really nicely with this. It's just very low drama all around, and she's very welcoming. And so I don't. I just don't have drama around that. But I also know the lane I'm in. Mm -hmm. You know, like I do, and I'm comfortable with that. And I don't need to have some sort of dominance somewhere. You know, with with my biological kids, I have a different role, and that's appropriate. So,
3: well, 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 I I
1: definitely. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt
3: you, David. I was going to say one of my family members said, so you are going to make sure they have separate birthday parties for this grandkid, right? (laughs) So that for each side of the family, and I I looked at them, I said, you think that's reasonable to expect them to have two birthday parties because we can't be in the same room together. That's not reasonable.
1: You can't stand across
3: the dining room and hold your plate of cake. I know. I was like, and then, you know, they thought about it and they were like, yeah, you're right. That's, that's not a reasonable ask like just bear with it you know yeah think people think just bear (laughs) with it
1: so many times that people are in the same room with somebody they don't like Mm -hmm. work right now some annoying person in here is teeter (laughs) what you are digging (laughs) your hole man i would not want to be you tonight you're going to be sleeping in the back of the trans am
2: dog house (laughs) and trans Am.
1: oh i got rid of that
2: we got the honda now
1: okay it's okay (laughs) well I, I know we didn't mention this in the episode, but we talked about it in my podcast is actually how close we live together, mm-hmm. like in real life, like we actually live, what do we think, like 45 minutes apart? Yes. And so we are in, we live in the same county
2: mm-hmm. and
1: I, I, you know, we live in South Carolina. My practice is on the South end of Charlotte. So like, we, like Indian uh, land,
2: right? Ballantyne. Yeah, Ballantyne. I live
1: in Indian land, but my practice is in um that Ballantine Pineville area in in charlotte it's got a charlotte zip yeah. code
3: i'll be in any land in the morning oh yeah, yeah. all right yeah i'll go to, i'll oh. be at cross ridge cafe
1: <laughs> oh yeah i just heard, like i don't even know what know where that is but somebody else mentioned that today they work there or something but and your assistant or
2: something likes nacho kids right yeah she lives oh in, like, yeah Hunter,
1: she's a step parent she lives in huntersville yeah she has been on vacation for two weeks <sighs> my life has been terrible <laughs> she's literally flying back right now Julie you need to come home <laughs> you cannot handle this business come back you. to me
3: Julie come back to me Julie. come
1: back
2: <laughs> well Julie when you come back David and I and you and Tara are going to have to meet for dinner one night
1: there you go Oh my gosh that would be so and I have two new cl- uh, uh, practitioners in my practice has grown into a a small group practice and we're getting new office space and we're like doing all this exciting stuff and one of the new clinicians Madison Gabriel is her name she's training to be a play therapist but she's super interested in this dynamic of working with families who have experienced you know separation divorce Mm -hmm. and are moving together towards blended families so she has been really interested in all the resources you know that that I bring to the table as well as the connections that I mm-hmm. have, so I know she'll be excited to listen to to this podcast. But I mean, if for those are out there who are listening, if you're in that Charlotte area and you need support with co-parenting, mm-hmm. or you have kids who are struggling, it doesn't have to be just be about divorce or separation. But you know, you can find us at www.eagancounseling.com, and like we support all kinds of families. It's not just families experiencing this, but I don't know. We're super passionate about our work. We really try to give good customer service and be responsive to the folks we work with. And I don't know, we're digging it. Super exciting.
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And folks, if you're in the area, definitely call her because people call us all the time. Like, do you know anybody Mm -hmm. in my area? I wish we had a directory of people that we actually knew, you know, did good work because it's hard to find an MFT that (laughs) that you feel like you can put your name behind. Mm
1: Well, yeah. and it's tougher too because you guys are down deeper into the county and it's harder to build up, you know, a practice. You know, I'm in Charlotte, like there's mm-hmm. just, we have so much need for mental health services. I mean, I know parents that are, you know, sometimes calling, you know, a dozen practices before they can find somebody with openings. And yes, you know, and then if you have a specific need, you know, you need mm-hmm. to work with somebody who specializes in trauma or certain genetic disorder or grief or something like that, it can be even more complicated. And so Mm -hmm. that was a real motivator behind me, hiring more people, Mm -hmm. is it's like, there's all these referrals, there's all this work we could be doing. And we just need to have a bigger team of people who can work with these families. And, you know, in families where there's multiple kids, you know, Mm -hmm. the same therapist can't see them all, right. So yeah, I have a lot of compassion for folks out, you know, where you live, because you're I'm sure there's a a significant shortage. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much for being a guest. And I'm serious. We're going to do dinner or lunch or (laughs) whatever one day.
1: That sounds fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great.
2: Yeah. Talk to you later.
1: All right. All right. Thank you.
2: We would like to thank Dr. Tara Egan for being a guest on our podcast. And we are excited to go have lunch with her one day. We need to schedule that, David.
3: Yep, I'm ready. Let me know.
2: Yeah, we need to do it soon before all the holidays come and we're too busy.
3: Oh, you got like two weeks then. You better make it happen.
2: (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, Tara Egan, if you are listening to this, we are going to be messaging you about doing (laughs) lunch soon. All right, David. I can't think of anything else we've got going on except, y'all, go like our TikTok. Even if you don't like it, like it, follow it. Help us spread the word. I'm going to be getting some confidence up. Oh, are you? Yeah. And I'm going to be doing some TikToks. No, I ain't dancing.
3: Is that what they call them, TikToks?
2: I reckon. I don't
3: know. Are you going to be a TikToker?
2: Maybe. (laughs) We'll see what happens. (laughs) And don't forget, we're on Instagram, too. Man, you're everywhere. Yeah. I know. It's scary.
3: Yeah. It's almost like your
2: dating life. All right, (laughs) y'all. We're wrapping this
3: up. I'm done. <laughs> All right. Join us next week. And remember, until then, life is good when you
1: nacho. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.